physics world. Light spread itself out uniformly in every direction. In this way, it proceeded in the beginning of time to extend matter which it could not leave behind by drawing it out along with itself into a mass the size of the material universe. If you think that description sounds a little bit like the Big Bang, you're right. Okay, the syntax is kind of odd, and it's maybe not the clearest explanation of how the universe began. But considering it was written 800 years ago, it's not too bad. The man who wrote those words was a medieval monk called Robert Grosseteste. He lived in the 13th century AD, and according to some, he's the most brilliant scientist you've never heard of. We'll soon fix that, though. I'm Margaret Harris, Physics World's Reviews Editor, and in this edition of the Physics World podcast, we'll be learning about Grosseteste from a group of historians and scientists who are taking a fresh look at his ideas and what they can teach us today. The group is known as the Ordered Universe Project, and I asked one of its members, the Durham University historian Giles Gasper, to explain who Robert Grosseteste was. But Robert Grosseteste, he's born in about 1170, dies in 1253, is an absolute polymath interested in theology, in political science, and also in science itself. So between about 1200 and about 1230, he's writing an extraordinary series of investigations into particular natural phenomena, such as light, colour, the rainbow, and and other aspects of the natural world. The words we heard at the very start of this podcast come from Grosseteste's treatise on light. Here's another member of the project, Durham physicist Tom McLeish, describing the contents of this treatise in more detail. The one idea he's very famous for, which is quite breathtaking really when you first read it, is uh, a theory for the origin, the physical origin of the universe, which, believe it or not, starts with a flash of light and expands out with a giant rapidly moving sphere. Um, It's a Big Bang theory of the universe. Of course, in detail, he's wrong. The, the, The universe he's talking about is not... Uh, our current one, it's a geocentric universe with crystalline spheres of planets and the sun and the moon um, with the Earth at the middle. But physicists love playing with alternate realities and uh, um, counterfactuals and toy models, don't we? So it's given us a, a very nice toy model to play with and solve. So we've, we've investigated rather thoroughly um, the set of Grosseteste's possible medieval multiverses that, that he, he, he might have been able to create and imagine. Before those investigations can take place the scientists need to understand what Grosseteste actually wrote. That isn't easy. To explain why, Gasper took me to the manuscript library at Durham University. The library sits on a wide green expanse between Durham's ancient castle and its even more ancient cathedral, overlooking the River Weir. It's a landscape that Grosseteste himself would have recognized, and the hush that hangs over the library is straight out of a medieval monastery. The quiet is broken only by whispers, and the crackle of parchment as Gasper opens a handwritten copy of Grosseteste's work. So this is a working manuscript. This is, it's not particularly beautiful. It's very well used, you can see from the discoloration. This is a lot of people's things. Uh, so manuscripts are often cut, resized, there's physical damage. Almost uh, like it was burned. Burning, yeah. It's all mostly by Grosseteste, but it's other authors as well. It's got lots of marginalia. Lots of explanations around the edges. So different works, different hands. These are quite. That's not too bad to read. This stuff is hideous. But that's a proper chancery hand. Nasty. Some of Grosseteste's writings are hard for anyone to decipher, but for me, the language was also a barrier. 
Like most medieval scholars, Grossetest wrote in Latin, a language that few people today can understand. Half-jokingly, I asked Brian Tanner, another Durham physicist in the Ordered Universe project, how his Latin skills were holding up. Uh, my, my Latin is, um, is rusty and, and, and limited, but just enough to keep on the rails. A bigger problem than Grossetest's Latin, Tanner explained, is the way he wrote about mathematics. I am one of the physicists who look at the text from essentially a scientific point of view, and what we're reading is that we're reading it as if it was a scientific paper. In what ways are they different from the scientific paper you might read in condensed matter physics? Well, he doesn't use algebra to start with. Um, they are mathematically argued, uh, but they are not. You, you don't actually use mathematics, and generally does not use number. So you have these very convoluted arguments, which we would now just compress by translating into mathematics. And that was the great fun about the uh, treatise on light, that the physicist just sat there and said, ah, we could, we could actually translate that into an equation. And a supercomputer later, we ended up with uh, a solution to Grosseteste's model of the formation of the cosmos. Grosseteste's cosmos isn't the only aspect of his work that interests modern-day scientists. Hannah Smithson is a psychologist at Oxford University who studies the way people perceive the world around them. She's been analyzing Grosseteste's treatise on color, which is called De Colore. In this very short treatise, it's only about 400 words, he makes an argument that um, all possible variations between color can be captured by just looking at variability along three bipolar axes. And as a modern color scientist, that resonates because we have three classes of cone photoreceptor in our retinas, and that imposes a very fundamental constraint on human color perception. It's described just by the outputs of those three different cone signals. Now, Grossetest couldn't have known about photoreceptors and cones, of course. Does that mean his choice of a three-dimensional color scheme was just a coincidence? So in a later treatise, um, one called De Iridae, he talks about um, the natural rainbow. Um, and he links the three bi bipolar qualities that he's introduced in De Colore to properties of natural rainbows. So he says that one axis of color variation essentially captures the variability of colors within a rainbow. Another axis of variation captures differences between different rainbows, rainbows that differ because of the quality of the medium in which they're made. Um, and a third axis of variation, um, which is, again, differences between different rainbows, but this time because of the light that has fallen on the um, medium to make the rainbow. And one of the things that we did was to model the variations that exist in natural rainbows and to see whether his mapping actually provides a reasonably complete account of human color space. And it does. It provides us with a perfectly good three-dimensional framework in which to, to navigate color experience. Grossetest was also fascinated by the physics of sound, and he seems to have been on the right track about how sound is created, at least some of the time. Here's Smithson again. One of the other um, treatises that we've worked on recently is on the generation of sound. And in that, Grossetest describes how sounds are produced, and so he talks about um, sounds being produced when you hit something. 
were his ideas about sound correct in terms of our modern understanding, or were, were there any elements of them that were? Parts of them are, parts of them aren't. Um, but I don't think that's what we're interested in judging him on, really. In terms of the observations he makes, he makes um, a rational line of argument to explain the observations he's made. And those observations are useful. I think very generally, being encouraged and having time to think back to the origins of your subject is a very healthy thing to, to do. And so there are certainly ways in which, in, in a less easy to map way, um, being involved in this project has made me think again about issues in my own subject. The physicists on the project have also been thinking about the origins of their subject, especially the origins of what we think of as the scientific method. Many scientists and some historians regard the Middle Ages as a bit of a scientific void, but in Tanner's view, medieval scholars deserve more credit than they often get. One of the things that I am fascinated by is actually how much experiment was done. This issue of whether you observe the world from experience or whether you actually make what we would recognize as measurements. Um, if you look back to the second century AD, you find that Ptolemy did actually make experiments on, on the refraction of light, which we would recognize as the sort of thing that we would get school students or first year undergraduate students to do. And that seems to have, have got mislaid, as it were. Um, but there are sort of hints that people were still actually doing things in, in which instead of just observing, they were actually placing things uh, and then looking at the effect of changing something. McLeish goes further, arguing that Grossetest understood the value of using experiments to test scientific ideas. There's a uh, very intriguing remark um, earlier in the text on the rainbow, the Eredeta. Uh, most of that, te that text is actually all about geometric optics. It's the optics of re refracted beams inside clouds. And, and Grosteste is actually the first to, um, to conjecture or suppose that refraction is the key optical phenomenon describing uh, responsible for the rainbow rather than reflection, which is what Aristotle had. Um, uh, and he talks about all sorts of lenses, and then he says, you know, you can make things smaller or larger. And at one point he says, one can make distant objects appear close. Now, we are talking about the very dawn of the experimental method. Uh, most of his ideas of experimental, well, we would probably call them now thought experiments. In principle, he says, if you doubt what I'm saying about colour, you can make it, test it out for yourself, go to your workshop, buy all sorts of materials and lights, you can, you can, you can prove it for yourself. Now, that's how he finishes De Calore. It, it's very intriguing. We simply don't know whether he did this or not, but he was clearly thinking about the importance of doing practical things to test one's scientific conjectures. As Physics World's Reviews editor, I read a lot of books about the history of science. I'm interested in the Middle Ages, too, I got a minor in medieval and renaissance studies when I was an undergraduate. Even so, before I met McLeish, Gasper, and the other members of the Ordered Universe Project, I'd never heard of Robert Grossetest. In part, that's because most history of science books go straight from Aristotle and the other ancient Greeks to Copernicus, Kepler, and Galileo in the 16th century. They ignore the medieval period entirely. I asked McLeish if Grossetest's work poses a challenge to this way of doing history. I would say it challenges it completely and utterly. I think we're really deconstructing that entire view as a projection onto history that, uh, that doesn't stand up to the light of 
of what we read at all. Grosteste is an outstanding mind, but he isn't completely on his own. Um, and one of the consequences of this, this research is really another whole research program, which is to ask, well, you know, answer the question, the begging question, which has always nagged me as a scientist, well, where did the scientific enlightenment come from? The, the, clearly, there was an explosion of thought, a big expansion, an inflationary universe of thought, if you like, in the um, 16th and early 17th centuries. But this stuff doesn't come from nowhere. Um, and the answer is that the Blue Touch paper, in Europe, Northern Europe at least, uh, was lit at the beginning of the 13th century and burned with increasing brightness um, in increasing numbers of minds all the way through till uh, the, the age of Kepler and Copernicus and Galileo. You can read more about the Ordered Universe project and, of course, about Grossetest at their website, www.ordered-universe.com. For now, though, it's time to leave the Middle Ages behind and return to the present-day world of physics. I'm Margaret Harris, and thank you for listening to the Physics World podcast. Physics World.